0: welcome to the man talk show i'm connor beaton and today we're going to talk about leveraging the power of memento mori and really we're going to have a bit of a conversation about death um, which is maybe not uh, the most exciting thing for some of us Uh, but during these times of chaos and panic and pandemonium and uh, just everything that's happening in the world a lot of people are sort of facing their fear, and at the root of, of fear is often the fear of death, the fear of not having enough to survive, uh, not being able to make ends meet, um, death of relationships, death of people who we love. And many, many people are sort of meeting this, this fear, the way that life used to look, right? Death of the freedoms that we used to take for granted, uh, the death of the routines and rituals of going out into social settings. Many people are grieving forms of death, but maybe not calling it that, right? Forms of uh, grieving a death of um, a work that they used to go into, a job or a company that they used to go into. So there's many different forms of death that people have been experiencing. And whenever we experience major transitions like this, we experience deaths of certain things, right? Death of routines, death of structure in our life, uh, the death of how things used to look, used to feel. Um, and for some of us, we are meeting death in a much more direct way. We are, um, you know, having family members pass away and not being able to go and be with them in their final hours, uh, due to the the pandemic. And so there's a there's a lot that has coming up around this concept, and I've been seeing it enter into many people's lives, businesses collapsing, careers ending, relationships uh, ending, and so there's a, there's a, a lot of a lot of this transpiring. So I want to talk about this. So Memento Mori, it's a very interesting concept. You may have seen it popularized uh, by people like Ryan Holiday uh, with the Daily Stoic. Um, But I'm just going to break down what it is and I'm going to uh, give you a little bit of history around it. And I'm going to talk about, I'm going to read you a poem by Edmund Vance Cook, uh, which is very, I think, very profound and can give some insight into how we can start to contemplate and meet death in our daily life as a means of expanding how we live uh, as as men how we live as human beings on this planet and so so what is memento mori well memento mori really means um, uh, memento is like a remembrance and mori is death and so there's a couple different iterations of this But in simple terms, it's remember death or remember that you will die. It's The remembrance that this life form that you are in is finite and that that this remembrance of the ignorance of it, the ignoring of it um, is often a, a, a sort of placating our fear. Right. It's playing to our fear and allowing us to look away from some of the harder parts of life. And many people that have a uh, a sort of not unhealthy but a, a struggle with change and transition, what is underneath that is often a, a deep fear of death in the unconscious that they don't want to face transition and change because they want things to stay the same. Because when when we have to really come to grips with the fact that some change and transition is completely out of our control, that we have literally no no influence over that change or that transition whatsoever we are met with the stark realization that there that there is a, a sort of force uh in the universe that is is always there and that fourth is that force is death that force forces the the end of things and so um so the philosophers so the the, the momentum more started really in the the classic antiquity and the philosopher Democritus. Uh, train himself by going into solitude in extreme forms, frequenting tombs and graveyards. Uh, And so it played a big role in in Stoics. So the Stoics of classic antiquity were particularly uh, prominent in their use of this discipline. And uh, in Seneca's letters, uh, many of them are full of reminders and um, sort of urging to meditate on death. And even the Stoic Epictetus told his students that when kissing their child brother or friend they should remind themselves that they are mortal curbing their pleasure as do quote those who stand behind men in their triumphs and remind them that they are mortal so the stoics believe that that we could humble ourselves that we could sort of curb our ego and nourish ourselves, like really um, come into a deeper contact with reality, with life, with with the fullness of the experience that we are having right now by reminding ourselves as often as possible when we hold our child that that this is going to be finite, that they're not going to be in this position forever, that when we connect with our partner or our loved ones or, you know, we we have that really important business meeting that these things are are finite, that they're not going to come again. And that we can sort of experience a deeper quality of meaning within those moments, simply because we remind ourselves that they are finite. And it's in those moments where we, we sort of, uh, in the words of, of David White, um, he says, beauty is the harvest of presence. And so it's in those moments by remembering that, that death is there, that, that death is a part of it, that we cultivate a deeper connection to presence because we are aware of the fullness of the moment, the finite and the infinite within that moment. And we don't ignore a large part of what's there. And so in in early Christianity, this also played uh, a very big role. The second century Christian writer, Tertullian, claimed that during his uh, triumphal processions, they used to do these big processions, a victorious general would have someone standing behind him holding a crown over his head and whispering respis post te hominem te momento look after you to the time after your death and remember you're only a man throughout these experiences and in modern times this has become a, a sort of like a standard trope right like we, we Talk about momentum, momentum sometimes, Sometimes we talk about death being there, but we've sort of stripped mind in our modern culture death out of our out of our societies. Right when, when people are ill, uh, they often feel ashamed and don't want their family members to see them. Right, we we go through these very interesting experiences where in ancient cultures, death was a very much a part of our life, and even in Eastern cultures still. Um, you know, in, in India and in certain parts of Asia, when a when a family member is aging or or they're sick and they're dying, they're in the home, right? They're around the people that they love. And we and they don't hide death away. Whereas in our culture, you know, we put people in the hospice, we put them into old folks' homes, we we really hide and sort of cover our eyes to death in Western culture. And it speaks to the fear and the sort of adolescent nature to the in some ways, the consciousness of, of Western culture is still sort of emerging, um, but we need to come to terms with it. We need to not leverage it or utilize it. It's not it's not sort of like a, a personal growth tool. I think that's the misconception. A lot of um, a lot of the conversations around Momentum mori are sort of like a personal development tool, right? And I'm not commenting on it as a personal development tool. I'm commenting on it as a way of living tool, a way of being. Um, as a as a contemplative practice, really, I can't stress that that enough as a contemplative practice to allow yourself to come more deeply and fully into every single moment that you are experiencing, whether it's a moment with your child where you're just in awe, watching them develop, watching them take their first steps or speak or you know, learn how to use certain things or, or do math or whatever the case may be, or interacting with, you know, a business partner or friends and and to come into the finite nature of all of those moments and to come into uh, the finite nature of your ego, of your identity and the fact that you change and that you evolve. So this this practice of momentum or can serve a, a very uh, powerful purpose. But it's not really meant to be a sort of personal development tool. It is meant to be more of a philosophical and spiritual reckoning, right? It is, it is meant to remind us of the, the other part of life, right? And as Alan Watts said, you know, we, we know uh, how you know white is by knowing black and how you know dark is by knowing light. And so it's, it's by understanding the dualistic nature of existence And many people fear away from death. Um, I know for myself, I've had many near-death experiences, some of them um, very sort of tactical in the sense of being on a motorcycle and almost, you know, really, I mean, I've been in a couple very close experiences where I, I remember one of them, I was going way too fast. I was driving, I was living, this is when I was living in Edmonton in my early 20s. And I was probably doing about 220 kilometers an hour in a 60 zone. Um, which is completely idiotic and reckless. And I came down this hill and sort of around a little bit of a bend, and there's a Jeep that was making a left turn. And I slammed on the brakes and, and maneuvered the bike and literally just missed the back end of the Jeep by what felt like a few inches. And I remember time slowing down. I remember in that moment sort of like, feeling myself move past that jeep as if i was as if i was crawling through space and time and i came out came out and just missed that and i and i pulled over and i I pulled over and i think i i got off my motorcycle and i sat in the grass on the side of the road and it, it i think it was like eleven thirty at night it was pretty late and i just sat there and I was met with the stark realization that in that moment, if anything had gone differently, I would have been dead. Surely I would have been dead. I was going, I mean, I was going way too fast. I would have hit the back of that Jeep and just, it would not have been good. But it gave me a a context and and made me sort of take a step back and realize that this thrill-seeking part of me was really out of control, was really reckless. And I I would have a, a one or two more, of those moments on my motorcycle that would finally make me sort of pull back and and you know realize that that if I kept going in that direction that i was I was going to get severely hurt at some point. But I've also had other kinds of near-death experiences. Um, you know many people go and and have uh, psychedelics as an example, and on psychedelic journeys, whether it's you know um, whatever plant-based medicine you're using, uh you can have a near death experience where it feels like your you have an ego death a complete deconstruction of that and i've had those experiences as well and they can be incredibly potent and i've also had a near death experience that um really was not uh not welcomed you know it wasn't i wasn't expecting it to come on uh and that you know my my body was sort of going wild my heart rate was going wild and so to meet, these, to meet these parts of us can be very potent because, again, they shape and can be a reminder for how we are wanting to live, how we are wanting to experience life. So I'm going to read you the poem by Edmund Vance Cook. And as you listen, I just want you to, to maybe be present to what the answers to some of these questions might be. So here we go. How did you die? How did you die? Did you tackle that trouble that came your way? with a resolute heart and cheerful or hide your face from the light of day with a craven soul and fearful oh a trouble's a ton or a trouble's an ounce or a trouble is what you make it and isn't it the fact that you're hurt that counts but only how did you take it you are beaten to earth well well what's that Come up with a smiling face. It's nothing against you to fall down flat, but to lie there, that's the disgrace. The harder you're thrown, why the higher you bounce. Be proud of your blackened eye. It isn't the fact that you're licked that counts. It's how did you fight and why. And though you be done to death, what then? if you battled the best you could, if you played your part in the world of men, why, the critic will call it good. Death comes to a crawl or comes with a pounce. And whether he's slow or spry, it isn't the fact that you're dead that counts, but only how did you die. So I I like these words, even though they're sort of old school. I mean, it was, I think it was, um, written in the late 19th century. And so, you know, obviously it's a little bit old English, but the idea here is really potent, right? It's, it's that it's this simple reminder that death informs us of how we are living. And it can really be a, a potent context to think about in any moment, you know, in any day if I was to pass tomorrow, if I was not going to be here tomorrow, how would I want to spend these moments? What would need to be shifted? What parts of myself would I be okay letting go? And I, you know, again, many of us that struggle with change and transition, we don't want change to happen. In some ways, it is a fear of, of death. It's a fear of a letting go. It's a fear of things looking differently and us not knowing what is to come. There's a great quote by Anthony DeMello, who is just an incredible, uh, he's a Jesuit priest and I've referenced him a few times on the show and I think read one of his passages, but he says, "We, we don't fear the unknown, we fear losing what is known. And so that's what many of us are struggling with. It's that we know what we have. We know what there is, even if it's dysfunctional, <laughs> even if it's not necessarily what we want. We know what it is. We know that it's there. We know what it's like. And our mind and our body, in some ways, get conditioned to hold on to those things. And so, this practice of momentum mori, this practice of being able to face these parts of ourselves in our life, uh, can be quite potent because they can make deep unconscious shifts within us and conscious shifts that help us to change and shape the way that we move through this world and in some ways i don't know who actually said this and i'm i'm i don't think i'm gonna get the quote quite properly uh life is a preparation for death right and so there's this constant letting go that we do this constant letting go And we let go by being so present into the moment. And so today and tomorrow and the next day, I encourage you to deepen your presence through this practice of Memento Mori. Really look at your life and look at what have you been clinging to, right? So these are some good questions to ask. What have I been clinging to because I've been afraid of change? What have I been clinging to because I've been afraid of change? What have I not wanted to let go of because it feels familiar. What has changed in the last several months that I've absolutely despised? <laughs> that's, another, that's another good one. If I was to go tomorrow, what would I want to do today? Or who would I want to be today? So just some very simple things, right? Some very simple things. Notice how maybe this practice, this contemplation of death can bring you into a a closer relationship with nature with your loved ones with intimacy with your purpose with all the aspects of your life that you're really wanting there's a uh, a great reminder a man named francis weller who does a lot of work around soul he's a depth psychologist and he does a lot of work around initiation he talks about the distinction between spirit and soul and he says spirit is an enlightenment it's an ascension it's a it's a letting go of everything, right? It's a removal of everything, whereas soul work is a deepening into what is. It's a going deeper into the human experience, into nature, into uh, everything that we are a part of. And so in, in some ways, this practice of facing death is a practice of coming into uh, terms with who you are and where you're at and, and what parts of you uh, are are really here right now and wanting to be expressed and wanting to be seen, so we spend a lot of time in our culture really searching for light and joy and happiness and ease and comfort, uh, and we are often disconnected from our capacity to understand darkness to understand this mysterious part of our existence. We run from it, not to mention that this is ultimately the work that we need to do. It's why so many people are, are searching out shadow work, right? It's a big part of, of the work that I do is because there's a lot of people that are finally coming online in, and into a conscious place where they're starting to realize that maybe the answers aren't only going to be found in positive quotes and, you know, neuro-linguistic programming reframes, right? So soul work, this ability to face The depths and the darkness and death is the working with the sort of material that's here and now in your life, what's already here right now and getting more present to it, whether it's the anxiety that you might feel or some of the sadness that's coming up in your life about the loss of a job or a relationship and being with that part and letting those aspects of you deepen you. They are an intelligence, right? Um, your, as Francis Waller says, your pain has its own intelligence. And so in coming into contact with death and coming into contact with our own pain, our own suffering, our own sadness, our own anger, we actually learn to listen to this other form of intelligence that is within us and around us. And it's such a beautiful gift. So thank you so much for tuning in today. Uh, If you know of someone that could really Uh, that would really enjoy this conversation, please man it forward, share it with one or two people. And please head on over to whatever platform you're listening to us on, especially if you're on iTunes and leave us a rating and review. It goes a long way. We've got some uh, great ratings that have come out. Thank you so much to Dave, who recently left a really uh, powerful review. I appreciate that. Um, Okay, until next week, this is Connor Beaton signing off.